This is In The Word with Malcolm Weber. We have a responsibility to exercise the gifts that God has given us. If anyone speaks, he should do it. If anyone serves, he should do it. You should be ministering according to the gift and the calling that God has given you for the building up of the body of Christ. That's your responsibility. If you don't, if you neglect that for whatever reason, then the body of Christ suffers. The body of Christ is weakened. Welcome to In the Word with Malcolm Weber. As followers of Christ, everything about us is to be completely different from the pagan world that surrounds us. We are to be alert. We are to love each other deeply. We are to serve out of our connection to Jesus Christ. Let's dive deeper with Dr. Weber in the second part of his message on 1 Peter 3, 21 through 4, 11. So, because there will be a final judgment, it really doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. You may be condemned now, but you'll be vindicated in the end, just like the Lord Jesus was. He was rejected, but since he's been glorified, he's been vindicated, been justified, right? He's been justified. And so choose righteousness now. Choose righteousness. Walk with the Lord Jesus in spite of the suffering that may accompany that. Verse 6. Now we get into another very difficult verse, one of the most difficult in verse Peter and actually in, in the Bible. And there are many various interpretations of this. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. I'm going to give you my view on the meaning of this. I think that what he's talking about here, he's referring to Christians who are now dead. They're now dead, but they were alive, obviously. And when they were alive, they heard the gospel in Peter's day, and they responded to the gospel, and they were saved. Possibly, Peter may have martyrs in mind here, and these martyrs would have been people who were persecuted by others. Okay, see, this is context, right? It's persecution for righteousness. So martyrs would have been persecuted by others and condemned by others, right? They would have been condemned. We think you're wrong. We think you're worthy of death. And they were condemned to death. But they were then vindicated by God. Right? The reason I think that it means that is because that would connect verse 6 with verse 5. See, verse 5 is expressing God's disapproval of sin and of sinners and his vindication of the righteous. Are you with me? That's the point of verse 5, right? That God is going to judge. He's going to judge the lost. He's going to vindicate the righteous. And that the lost have been persecuting the righteous. Okay? So, for this is the reason that the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, believers who were alive, they heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel, but then they died. And dead obviously means literally dead here because it connects directly to the previous phrase, the living and the dead in verse 5. So he's not talking about spiritually dead, but I believe he means those who are physically dead. They're now physically dead. That they might be judged according to men in regard to the body. See, the men were the pagans who judged them and condemned them in this life. See, they were judged according to men in regard to the body, but they live according to God. 
in regard to the Spirit. They have eternal life. They have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore they're righteous by faith, and so they're judged according to God in regard to the Spirit. See, they were born-again Christians who had life in the Spirit while they were alive, and then after they're dead, they certainly are alive to God in the Spirit. That's my opinion about what this verse means. There are all sorts of views about what this means. I've looked at a lot of them, and I think that that's the safest interpretation of this, and it's certainly one that makes this verse make sense in the context, which is always important. You don't want to have an interpretation of an individual verse and have that be meaningless in the context, have there be no connection with its surrounding context. So again, what Peter is saying is he's encouraging us to endure in spite of the persecutions. And he's saying that just like Christians who have already died, they've been judged by men. They've been rejected by men. Perhaps they've even been martyred by men. But they live according to God in the Spirit. You see? It's a pretty straightforward interpretation. They live according to God. God has justified them. Just as He would justify you on the last day when He judges the living and the dead and He condemns those who have condemned you now. You see? That brings a flow of meaning or consistent meaning down through here. Verse 7. Now Peter moves into a different passage here a different section, and he gives some general exhortations to the believers in the context of the church. The end of all things is near. Because the end of all things is near, and again, if it was near back then, it sure is near now. The end of all things is near. Live like it's near. Don't hang on to the things of this world because their end is near. But because Jesus will be returning soon, that means that the persecution will increase, right? That's the result of the end of all things being near. Persecution will increase. Also, as the time gets later and later, the urgency increases more and more for us to be faithful to God and to be ready for the end. Therefore, because the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and be self-controlled so that you can pray. Be clear-minded. Think. Don't be caught up in the nonsense either of this world or the religious nonsense, but be clear-minded and be self-controlled so that you can pray. What's the purpose of your clear-mindedness and self-control? So that you can pray, yeah. Prayer takes self-discipline, right? Hmm. Prayer should not only be done when you feel like it, when you feel all goosebumpy. Oh, God's leading me to pray, you know, <laughs> which is fine. But we also need to pray at other times, not only when we feel led to pray or when we feel like it, but be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. In all sorts of different contexts there, prayer is plural. Prayers means public prayer, private prayer, and so forth. Above all... In view of the end of all things being near, love each other deeply. So love is the supreme, I mean, it's the above all thing. It's the supreme, all-embracing, all-inclusive duty in regard to all of our relationships in the church. Love each other deeply. That is the preeminent Christian lifestyle, is to love one another deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, Jesus' blood is what covers our sins, right? Obviously. But our love for one another gives occasion for his blood to be applied, right? 
our love for one another can actually draw his blood over each other, the effects of his blood, the cleansing, forgiving effects of his blood over sins in a number of ways. How does love cover sin? Can you think of some ways in which love covers sin in the context of love for the brethren? Excellent. You forgive someone that has wronged you. You see, in that way, love covers their sin, right? gives occasion for the blood of Jesus to cover their sin. Any other ways that our love can cover sin? Our love covers sin in forgiveness. How else does love cover sin? Won't take offense. Won't take offense. Won't respond in an ungodly kind. And so it prevents us from sinning then, doesn't it? Love will prevent us from sinning. How else will love cover sin? We accept people as they are. We forgive them. Yeah, we don't hold anything against them. We overlook their faults. Very good. Very good. We can pray for them. Love will cover sin in that way. We will intercede for our brother and sister. So there are a variety of ways, aren't there, in which love will cover sin. And so he says, love each other deeply in the body of Christ. Offer hospitality, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. What's the connection of verse 9 with verse 8? It's not a grocery list here. It's not disconnected things. It's a way that we can love one another, right? Hospitality is an example of how to do this. It's a practical expression of love. And the early church practiced great hospitality. In fact, they became so well known for it that they were thoroughly abused. (laughs) And so they had to establish limits on this. And there is early church teaching, for example, that limits, if there's a Christian traveler coming through one place and he stops, that he's only allowed to stay in your house for no more than two or three days. Because you would have people who would take advantage of this and they'd just move in with you because you're my brother and you've got to show me hospitality. Well, can you imagine that happening? Uh, certainly you can. <laughs> so offer hospitality to one another, that's a real practical expression of love, without grumbling. Has anyone in this room ever grumbled when you were called upon by God or circumstances to offer hospitality to a brother or a sister? Anybody in this room ever grumbled? Jerry grumbled. She's acknowledging it. Good. Everybody look at Jerry. She she grumbled. (laughs) She's also the only honest person in this room. (laughs) Everybody look at Jerry. She's honest. Grumbling, oh, you mean I gotta take care of them again? You mean, nah, 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 nah. huh? Grumbling. Isn't that interesting? God knows us pretty well, doesn't He? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, verses 10 and 11 are really incredible verses. And it's a continuation of the theme of love and of giving and of serving one another. It's really a continuation of the theme of hospitality. That you are to share with one another in the body of Christ, not only in practical and material goods, but also you are to share with your brother and sister the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. You see the connection here, the way he moves all of this together? God has given many gifts to the whole body. And just as you are a steward of the material and financial and practical aspects of life, to wisely steward those blessings, so 
you are to steward the spiritual gifts that God gives you, so that you will serve the church in this regard and be a blessing to the body. Now these two verses, verses 10 and 11, form a summary of New Testament teaching on ministry. It's really powerful. Let's read these two verses and we'll go through it. And I found at least nine principles of ministry just in these two verses. They're summary verses. Remember, this book covers many, almost exhaustively, of the major doctrines and practices of the Christian life. He just packs so much in here. And this is what he's done in these two verses. Let's read them here. Verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Each one, verse 10, should use whatever gift he has received. First principle, every member of the body has gifts. Every member of the body. That's repeated many times. The gifts of the Spirit are given to every man to profit with all. 1 Corinthians 12. Many other places. So every member of the body of Christ has gifts. Second principle. God has given these gifts by His grace to us. The Greek word for gift there is, anybody know? Charisma. means a gift of grace. Something that someone freely gives. They're freely given to us. These are gifts that are given to us. They're gifts by the grace of God. Third principle. Because God has given us these gifts, we must be faithful stewards of them. You see, he says here, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. You see, God has freely given us these gifts. We need to faithfully exercise that stewardship. And then the purpose of the gifts is to serve. We should use our gifts to serve others. It's not to exalt ourselves or to build some ministry in court by our own name, but it's to serve others. Obviously, we could spend a long time on each of these principles, but I just want to bring them out here. And then next, this is principle number five. There are many kinds of gifts. There's a diversity of gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Diversity of gifts. And then in verse 11, he breaks all of this huge diversity. This is awesome, this one. He breaks this great diversity of gifts into two broad categories of gifts. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Let's go back to Acts chapter 6. And you'll see that the same thing was done in Acts chapter 6. Acts 6, let's read verses 2 to 4. This was in the days when there was a complaint, otherwise known as grumbling, (laughs) against the Hebrews by the Greek believers, because, you know, your widows are getting more than ours, or something like that. Verse 2, and so then the twelve... I mean, this is right after Pentecost, guys. Here they are grumbling. That's sort of encouraging, isn't it? You know, <laughs> That encourages me when I read things like that. that they're just the same as us. You know, they were no better, no worse. You know, Praise God. They weren't some sort of super, superhuman or super Christian in the early days. They had the same struggles we have. They wrestled with the same conflicts, the same stuff. Verse 2, So then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Can you see there the two divisions of ministry? And both of them are very highly honored here. I mean, it's not just, oh, serving tables. But who do we want to serve the tables, guys? Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's your qualification for serving tables. I mean, it's heavy-duty stuff, right? Serving tables. This is honored stuff in the body of Christ. I mean, in the body of Christ, when you're cleaning the bathrooms, you're doing service of high honor. You absolutely are when you serve your brothers and sisters. Can you see here the two broad divisions, the two broad kinds of ministry in the body of Christ? Now let's go back to 1 Peter. Because Peter mentions these same general divisions. The speaking relating to the Word of God and the serving of tables. These are two broad categories of gifts in the body of Christ. And then the next principle is that these gifts are to be exercised as God gives the grace to do so. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. You see, it's, these gifts are gifts of grace. And so we should do it as God gives us the words. We should serve tables as God gives us the strength. They're His gifts. They're not ours. We're stewards of them, and so we need to look to Him for the functioning of them. And then the next principle is that we have a responsibility to exercise the gifts that God has given us. If anyone speaks, he should do it. If anyone serves, he should do it. You should be ministering according to the gift and the calling that God has given you for the building up of the body of Christ. That's your responsibility. If you don't, if you neglect that for whatever reason, then the body of Christ suffers, the body of Christ is weaker. You see, these are all principles of New Testament ministry. And then the final principle, principle number nine, just in these two verses, and we could probably find some more if we really meditated on it, is that the ultimate end of it all is the glory of God. Praise God. See, we do it so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Through Him, the Spirit, with all of His giftings, was given to us. And so it's through the Lord Jesus that God is praised. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And that expresses His, yeah, He says, man, I've really written something that's powerful there. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Isn't that a wonderful summary of ministry in the body of Christ in those two verses? Peter is doing that here. He's summarizing so much about the Christian life. In fact, what is really huge in this? What is this? Thank you. Right. Is that in these last few verses, we have some of the primary characteristics of a healthy church. Look at it. We have in chapter 4, verse... Seven, he starts out with what? In one word, what's the first characteristic of a healthy church? Prayer, thank you, healthy prayer life. And then in the next two verses, in one word, love, thank you, love that is expressed in practical ways, love between the brethren. And then in the next 10 and 11, in one word, starts with M, 
ministry, effective ministry, everybody functioning according to the gifts that God has given us. Isn't that awesome? These are the characteristics of a healthy church. If we want to know, how do we have a strong, healthy church? What do we do? Do we start some new program for advertising? It doesn't mention that. I'm not saying you couldn't or shouldn't do that, but you see, these things should be our focal point in the body of Christ. Now, he mentions another one. He's going to talk about suffering now, and then in chapter 5, he comes back to the church, and he speaks about healthy leadership, and that's number four, healthy leadership in the body of Christ. He talks about healthy leaders. He talks about their character and what they do. We'll see that next week. So there, I believe we have four of the primary characteristics of a healthy church. I just love to see stuff like that in the scriptures. You know, these broad summary kind of things. Because then it tells us what we should be focusing on. tells us what we should be doing. We should be focusing on our prayer lives, a dynamic life in the Spirit. We would certainly include worship and everything else in that, right? In our prayer life, our intercession, our prayer, our worship of God. And then the love in the body of Christ, all of the relational elements here in the body of Christ, serving one another and loving one another and patience, and then effective ministry, each one functioning according to the gift that God has given you in the body of Christ, and then godly leadership that is leading the whole church. And there's also another aspect earlier on in the book of First Peter where he speaks about outreach and evangelism. You Remember when we're looking to do good works and we're looking to exhibit the character of the Lord Jesus Christ so that others will be saved. And so we can say that that's the fifth characteristic, which sounds to us pretty close to our vision, right? Remember what's our vision? Love God. See, there's the, the prayer and the worship and so forth. Love one another, right? There's the, the love in the body of Christ. Grow together to our full maturity in Christ. See, there's the ministry and the flow of the giftings and the, the service and the ministry in the body of Christ to reach the world for Jesus. There's the healthy outreach. See, this is why we try to do that and try to keep that in balance because it gives us balance, it gives us focus as a church so that we can be healthy and not be imbalanced or getting off onto some tangent over here. And it's just wonderful to me when we find passages in the scriptures such as that one in First Peter. Praise God. So let's finish there. That's not quite as much as I wanted to do tonight, but we will finish the book next week. Any questions? Yep, the gifts, service. Yep. But I didn't have number, I had that as number eight. You had that as number eight. Well, yeah. Well, goodness me. Every member of the body has gifts, number one. Number two, God has given these gifts by His grace. Number three, we are stewards of them, we must be faithful stewards of those gifts. Number four, these gifts are to be used to serve, to serve our brethren. Number five, there are many different kinds of gifts, diversity of gifts. Number six, there are two broad categories of gifts. There are two broad distinctions of gifts. The speaking gifts of various kinds related to the Word of God, the ministry of the Word of God, and then there are what we could call serving tables or various non-speaking service gifts. And they're all important and very necessary and honorable. The speaking gifts may be the ones that have more prominence, but nevertheless, it really doesn't matter what happens now. 
It's what happens on the other side that counts. As long as you're faithful in what God has called you to do, you'll be great in the kingdom. And many that are great now and big in public and ministries and so forth will be not as great in the kingdom and vice versa. Many that are hidden and just quietly, humbly serving their brothers and sisters and not pursuing a platform or an audience or so forth will be great in the kingdom. And then number seven is that the gifts that are to be exercised as God gives the grace, as he gives the words, as he gives the strength. Number eight, we have a responsibility to exercise the gifts that God has given us. And number nine, the ultimate end of it all is the glory of God. Good, thank you. Any other questions? Praise God. Okay, going, going, gone. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you. We're so glad you joined us for In the Word with Malcolm Weber, a weekly podcast featuring selected teachings from Dr. Weber's over 40 years of ministry. Find more teachings along with books, courses, tools, and other resources from Dr. Weber at www.leadersource.org. Tune in next week as we come to the conclusion of 1 Peter.